0: the cellar floor. The shards would fall, they fall, they fell, piece by piece, all night long, like the faucet's steady plink, plink, plink. Benjamin lay awake listening to the floors creak and the strapping ping, and he began to hear from outside the faint sigh of warming sap race through the trees from root to root, as the earth buckled with sudden shoots that tore through the ground all night long as that plink, plink grew nearer with dawn and louder. Plink, 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 as the grass greened and thickened overnight with the same suddenness of the new leaves that had not been at his window the night before, but were there then, that morning of the day that Duval would come. So of course the boy would believe Duval when he described the stirring in his heart that night. There seemed no mystery in any of it, for he had always known that Duval was on his way, is coming as inevitable as the summer's fiery sun, and as unstoppable. It was early morning on Main Street. In the second-floor window of the big brown boarding house sat Judge Henry Clay. From here could be seen the roofs of the stores downtown on Merchant's Row and distant church spires, and farther on, the woolly green mountaintops hugging the valley. The judge's right eye was closed, his left eye fixed blankly on the park across the street with its graceful elm trees, and the pagoda-roofed bandstand built thirty years before when he was mayor of Atkinson. On the corner of the park, in his least stand, was Joey Selden, the blind man who sold popcorn and soda. On the opposite corner, a dusty station wagon idled noisily at the red light, Inside the car were three dark men and a tall man in a white suit and straw hat. Suddenly, the tall man threw open the back door and ran down the street. The car screeched around the corner after him in a burst of fumes and querulous voices. Joey Selden cocked his head curiously. Up in the window, the curtain fluttered, then blew across the judge's face. A moment later, a tiny woman with bluish-white hair backed into the room with two stemmed glasses of orange juice on a mahogany tray. This was May Mayo, who, with her younger sister Claire, ran the boarding house. May quickly set down the tray on the table by the bed, then hurried to lock the door. "'Oh, dear,' she gasped, seeing the judge's head swathed in curtain gauze. She unwound the curtain, then wet her fingers and patted his must-gray hair." She sat in the floral chintz chair next to his and drank her juice. When it was gone, she picked up the judge's glass and sipped daintily as she stared out at the empty park. The judge had been one of the town's most respected and influential citizens, but now only a handful of his old clients ever called him, and even fewer came here. In this last year, the judge had failed rapidly. His legs buckled easily, and his mind grew keener with the past than the present as he fell in love over and over with every sweetheart wife and mistress he'd ever had, never noticing how each one spoke in May's shy, giggly voice. One evening, as she was straightening his room, the judge had seized her hand. "'Lie down,' he had whispered from the bed. "'Lie down with me.' And so she had, that night and every night, until the last. In the morning, she would steal down the hall in time to be roused by Claire's demanding knock on her own door. She reached over now and touched his cold, rigid hand. From time to time, voices and footsteps moved along the corridor past the locked door, and in a light, gay tone, she would address the judge. Such a day! At last! Summer's finally here. Really? I didn't know that. Well... "'What can one?' Her voice broke off, and her hands cupped her ears. From the judge's innards there seeped another eerie hiss, and with it now this first foul smell. Locking the door behind her, she hurried down the dim corridor to her own room, then tiptoed back with her cut-glass atomizer of sweet lily. First she sprayed the rose-papered walls, the stained Persian carpet, the judge's soft bed, his wardrobe of limp dark suits, his oak filing cabinets inurned with a half century's pledges and breaches and secrets, and now, finally, she sprayed the good judge himself, now entering his thirtieth hour of death. Through the dawn and the pale empty streets, their voices rose and fell like squabbling birds.